Hello and welcome to Japan Media Tour. I'm your host, Stephen Tia, and today we're going to be talking about the 1994 video game Mother 2, also known as Earthbound. This was one of my favorite games growing up, and I'm very excited to share it with you all today. So stay tuned as we dive into the depths of deep darkness and discuss UFOs, cultists, dinosaurs, and zombies. But first, I'd just like to wish all of you a happy new year as we turn the page over to 2024. New Year's has never really been my favorite holiday in the West. It's crowded, everyone's drunk, and it's impossible to get a cab anywhere. Uber raises their price by like 200%. I think part of the reason I don't like it is because it's when all the people who don't normally go out decide to party and it just becomes a bit of a mess. However, In Japan, it's more of a family holiday where people tend to travel back to their hometowns and see their loved ones, visit shrines, eat traditional food, that type of thing. Because everyone in Japan moves to Tokyo to work and then they head back home around New Year's. I was fortunate enough to spend New Year's in Kyoto one year and I would highly recommend it. Although it was busy, it was a calm and Almost pious crowd of families marching toward their favorite shrines to pray and get their fortunes for the coming year. I was staying in a ryokan at the time, which is a traditional Japanese inn, and they provided us some of the classic dishes that Japanese people usually eat at New Year's, which was really cool. So on New Year's Eve, people typically eat soba, and then on New Year's Day, they eat osechi. Osechi consists of various traditional dishes such as chestnuts,、uh, sweet black soybeans, lotus root, and mochi, stuff like that. During the New Year holiday, there's a ton of special New Year or Shogatsu TV programming that almost everybody seems to be watching. And I watched that a little bit when I was there, that was pretty fun.、Um, I saw Perfume, the.、Uh, The girl group Perfume perform Computa Obachan, which is a, a YMO classic that I love. So I was, I was happy to see that one when I randomly turned on the TV in the hotel. So,、uh, yeah, overall, I think New Year's is definitely one holiday that's done better in Japan. That's just my opinion. I, I prefer it out there than I do here.、Um, also, before we get started, I know there was a massive earthquake in Ishikawa Prefecture recently. Just a, a terrible start to the new year. Tragic start.、Um, I hope you're all safe and I hope you are not affected too much by the earthquake. Alright, l so let's get to today's main topic, which is one that I'm incredibly excited about. And that is Shigasato Itoi's Mother 2, which was released on Super Famicom in 1994 in Japan and on Super Nintendo in North America the following year under the name Earthbound.、Uh, I'll probably be referring to it as Earthbound throughout most of the podcast, but yeah, Mother 2, Earthbound, it's the same thing. So,、uh, a couple of fun facts about Itoi. He voiced Satsuki and Mei's father in the classic Studio Ghibli film Totoro, which is one of my favorites of all time. Definitely be talking about that at some point on the podcast. And he has also appeared as a judge on Iron Chef numerous times. And I used to just love watching Iron Chef Japan when I was a kid. That was, 
one of my favorite shows as well. So, onto the game. It's uh, about a seemingly regular boy named Ness from the country of Eagle Land, an approximation of the United States. Some of you might recognize Ness as the kid with the red cap and baseball bat in Super Smash Brothers, another amazing video game. Uh, the red hat he wears is just so fitting. Who else wore a red hat? Bart Simpson, Holden Caulfield, some of the classic symbols of youth and growing up in the U.S. This game, like so many others, is really about growing up, leaving home, and facing a world of uncertainty. And nothing else hits quite as hard as that reality when you're a kid playing video games, whether you really stop to thinking, think about it or not. Just that you're going to have to grow up and, and face the real world at some point. Um, actually, there's a new documentary coming out. I think it's called uh, Earthbound USA. And I watched the trailer and I saw Shigesato Itoi say in that trailer that the game turned adults into kids and kids into adults. And that pretty much sums it up right there. I mean, who better to sum it up than the game's creator himself? Uh, so you start the game as Ness from the small town of Onet. I know people have different ways of pronouncing that, but I call it Onet uh, in the year 1990X. So sometime in the 90s. You soon learn that you have psychic powers, which you can use to heal allies and defeat foes. Later in the game, you join forces with three other kids, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh. Though you can change their names at the beginning of the game if you so choose. At the start of the game, Ness is awoken by a meteor crashing to the earth. You go to check it out and it's blocked off by the cops. Your neighbor Pokey then comes banging at your door in the middle of the night asking for you to help find his brother. You get to the meteor and you find Pokey's brother, Picky, when suddenly a beam of light shoots out from the meteor and a magical beetle, or some people say bumblebee, when I was a kid, I thought it was a bumblebee, but I, I guess it is supposed to be a beetle, though. I think, I think I was wrong when I was a kid. Anyway, a bumblebee or a beetle named Buzz Buzz, or Boom Boom in the Japanese version, appears. Buzz Buzz explains that he's not actually a bug, but rather a being from 10 years in the future. He tells you that the universal cosmic destroyer Gygas has devastated the world of the future, and that Ness is the chosen one who can stop Gygus' evil plan. Uh, soon after, you encounter the first alien enemy of the game, which is Starman Jr. This is a really cool character design. He kind of looks like the big robot alien from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. And yeah, he, he really looks like that big robot alien. Um, Buzz Buzz defeats him easily, so you don't really have to do anything, but it's just cool that this is your first battle with an alien. It really, it gets you hyped on the game, seeing that Starman Jr. so early. Because um, after this, I mean, you'll mostly be fighting, you know, birds, <laughs> crows, and uh, crows, runaway dogs, what else? We got snakes in the beginning of the game. So this is like, it's sort of a, a bit of foreshadowing to the alien battles that are going to come a little bit later on. So you take Pokey and Picky back home where their mother smacks and kills Buzz Buzz. And at which time he makes a beautiful little dying speech and he gives you something called the Sound Stone, which you use to record sacred melodies at certain sanctuary locations throughout the game. And let me tell you, there's no better feeling than getting to a sanctuary location 
and hearing the melody for the first time. It, it actually gets me emotional every time, even to this day. And the music is, is awesome. I, I love the melodies that they play at these sanctuary locations. The dialogue in this game is also really awesome. There's lots of little jokes and pop culture references, and they often break the fourth wall. For example, someone asking whether the game Earthbound has been released yet, or even one of the cops saying that he's been playing Earthbound recently and he's having kind of a tough time getting through it. Um, this really is a game where you want to talk to everyone, not only because they give you information on how to beat the game, but because lots of them have legitimately interesting things to say. I know not everyone loves how tedious RPGs can be, but if you're an RPG fan, you'll love this one. And uh, I think there really is something to be gained from playing an RPG. It teaches you, like, teaches you patience, um, delay of gratification, which these, these lead to a more fulfilling life in your real life and a more fulfilling gameplay experience as well. I've also heard c people complaining uh, about things like saving the game in Earthbound or buying items one at a time as opposed to a bulk system. And yeah, I, I can understand, but uh, I think these things are part of what makes the game feel more like real life. I mean, it's already not in a fantasy setting to start with, right? It looks like the real world. At least early in the game, it does. So, I mean, a journey to save the world should be a bit of a nuisance anyway, don't you think? Um, but yeah, no, I understand why people have complaints about that, but uh, I kind of like it. Um, so to recover health early in the game, you eat things like burgers, and you have to fight a gang called the Sharks, defeat a half-boss named Frank, whose boss music is something like Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry, and uh, oh yeah, you fight him at an arcade, so it's all just oozing with Americana. Uh, one great thing about this game is all the pop culture references. Uh, it's kind of like watching a classic episode of The Simpsons or something, just, there's just a bunch of little hidden things that make the gameplay more enjoyable. Um, if you, yeah, like there's even a, a character walking around who looks like Mr. T. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just a bunch of cool references like that. Uh, so after the battle with Frank, you fight your way through a cave and discover the first of your eight sanctuary locations. And as I said, getting to these locations always feels special to me. It plays some nice music, and you reflect on your life a bit. Uh, yeah, you'll see. You'll see what it's like. If you played the game, you know what I'm talking about. It's special when you get to these spots. Anyway, after this, you fight some corrupt cops, and then your adventure really begins as you head out on the road to the second town, Tucson. Or, I've heard some people say, Tucson. It's in Tucson that the second member of your crew, Paula, lives. Uh, so there's also a cameraman who drops down from the sky once in a while to take a photo of you, sort of as a, a little memory of your adventure. I always really loved this part when I was a kid. It was fun, kind of like a special little moment documenting your trip around the world. Um, there, there's also a lot of interesting enemies in this game. Uh, everything from UFOs to walking mushrooms to piles of puke and even Salvador Dali's melting clock. Um, so, you know, one of the interesting ones is the walking mushrooms, actually. They do this thing where they, they mushroomize you, and then you get a little mushroom on your head, and it makes your controls screw up a little bit. 
Like you try to walk left and maybe it's going to make you go right. You try to go straight, it makes you go backwards and it just gets a little confusing. It's really annoying when it happens, but I do think it's a, a really cool little piece of the game. And then the little mushroom on your head, you can actually sell that for money. So it's not all bad when it happens to you. So it turns out Paula has been kidnapped by a cult and taken to a place called Happy Happy Village. The cultists are obsessed with the color blue and painting everything in their town blue. There's even a blue cow in their town. Uh, their leader is called Mr. Car Painter. They also look a bit like clansmen, uh, except blue. Uh, apparently this cult of happy happiests is said to be inspired by the Om Shinrikyo cult in Japan, um, famous for the 1995 sarin gas attacks on the Tokyo subway, and also I believe there's an attack in Nagano that happened earlier. Um, I'm not sure how accurate this is, whether the Happy Happiests are actually based on that, or if Itoi, the creator, has ever said anything about this, but it's it's interesting to think about. It maybe adds a little bit of depth to this game, and I wouldn't put it past him, because there's some other uh, tie-ins to real life found throughout the game. Um, so from here on, I'm going to try to avoid giving spoilers as much as I can, so I'll skip over some of the key plot points in the game as we move along. But of course, Paula does end up joining your team after you save her from the Happy Happiest. Now, you're able to hold more items in your inventory at this point of the game, which is nice, because space becomes limited pretty quickly. This is another common complaint about this game. You can't carry as many items as you want, but this also makes the journey feel more real to me. I mean, how much can one kid be expected to carry in a backpack? I understand that it's a bit annoying, or mendoksai, uh, should I say, but I kind of like these types of minor inconveniences in games, but I also might be crazy, so... I like the battle system in this game too. It's very simple, but very effective. It's first-person view once the battle starts, so it's not like you're watching two sets of characters fight each other. It's more like you're actually fighting your enemy. And there's the famous rolling HP meter. So it doesn't instantly go to zero as soon as an enemy hits you with a fatal blow, but rather it rolls down slowly so you have time to heal yourself before it's too late. And I know the angry video game nerd on YouTube also mentioned that he liked this, and I totally agree with him. It really adds to the urgency and changes the pace of the game. It's so exciting to watch the HP meter roll down and then save yourself right at the last second. So next up is Threed which is, of course, the third town in the game, and it might just be my favorite town. It's full of ghosts and ghouls and zombies and the like. It's dark and creepy and just reminds me of Halloween or something, which is really fun. Uh, it's in Threed, where you follow a scantily clad lady, possibly a sex worker, into a hotel room, where you are then jumped by a bunch of zombies as well as zombie dogs. Zombie dogs are a really cool enemy in this game as well. They're, they're a tough opponent too. 
So yeah, this game looks innocent and childish, but you can see the adult themes starting to stack up a bit. Uh, what between the corrupt cops, the cult, the prostitute, uh, buying weapons from an arms dealer behind a closed-down pizza shop, and whatever else is still to come. So now Ness and Paula have been captured, and you start to play as Jeff, who has no psychic attacks, unlike the other two, but he is able to invent weapons for himself. You find uh, broken-down machinery, things like that, and he might turn that into a, a gun or something. Uh, so he lives at a boarding school in Winters, which is, of course, a cold and snowy land. Uh, Jeff's part is not too difficult. You just, you know, fight your way through a cave until you end up meeting his father, a scientist resembling Albert Einstein, whom he hasn't seen in 10 years. Jeff's father, Dr. Ann Donuts, lets him take his UFO-type machine to go and save Ness and Paula in Threed. Uh, side note, one of my favorite enemies in the game is in Threed, and it's called Putrid Moldy Man. I just really like the name. It's actually a very difficult enemy. I kind of do not want to see them too much, because it's always a tough battle. But yeah, I like, I like the name. Character design is pretty cool. He's like a dirty guy in a trash can. Uh, some of the other good characters or good character names are Cute Little UFO, Worthless Protoplasm, and the boss, Trillion Age Sprout. I like that one. There's plenty of them, though. I, it would be a long list if I were to name all the great uh, enemy names. Uh, by the way, the soundtrack for this game is unreal. Not much I'm really going to say about that, but just go and check it out if you haven't already. It's, uh, I like to just put it on, if I'm studying or something, I can just put on the Earthbound soundtrack in the background, something like that. It's, it's a great one. So um, there's, there's a bunch of slight differences between the Japanese Mother 2 and the English language Earthbound. For example, in the Japanese one, there are some pop culture references that an international audience just wouldn't understand as well. Like there's one about the anime... Arupsu no Shoujo Haiji, which I don't think it was very popular in the West. At least I hadn't heard of it before going to Japan. Um, so in the English version, in Earthbound, this was changed into a Beatles reference. Uh, also, in Mother 2, you visit a bar, whereas Earthbound tames it down a bit and turns it into a cafe. So th this is kind of funny, though. Because you wonder why this cafe is full of a bunch of degenerates. One guy starts talking about the cafe, the, the buzz, the coffee buzz that he's feeling. And another talks about how he's down on his luck and he's homeless. And now he spends all his time in the cafe. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. Even, even the bosses in this game are pretty funny, actually. At one point, you go to the Dusty Dunes Desert where you have to defeat five moles and each refers to themselves as the third strongest in the group. So the first one you fight, you're like, okay, that was the third strongest. Uh, yeah, okay, so I got four more. And then you get to the next one. It's like, well, he also said third strongest. Yeah, you know how it goes. So yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, so soon after you defeat these moles, you'll make your way to Foreside, which is like the New York City of Eagle Land. So I'll skip over a few major plot points now. Some interesting stuff happens there. 
but you end up crossing over into a different dimension in which foreside becomes moonside. This is another really cool part of the game where you fight enemies like the aforementioned Dolly's Clock and also an enemy that's just called Abstract Art. Uh, Most of the inhabitants of Moonside don't really make sense when you talk to them. And in this dimension, no means yes, and yes means no. Uh, So shortly after Moonside, you gain the ability to teleport, which really opens up the map. It's similar to in the Pokemon games when you first learn fly, and you just get to go basically anywhere you've already been. Um, The only trouble is that teleportation requires a lot of space in this game, so you may not be able to teleport if you're in a cramped space or a crowded area. So this game originally came with a large manual with lots of tips and tricks on how to beat the game. Uh, It was a really cool book, actually. A lot of cool art in there. Um, I wish I still had it, but I probably didn't take care of it very well when I was a kid. I think I ripped some of the pages, stuff like that. Not on purpose, of course, but yeah, I don't think I took care of it too well, and my parents probably threw it out. Even just saying that right now pains me. What was I thinking? Um, Yeah, I'm also now thinking about all the Pokemon cards I used to have that my parents probably gave away. I don't know what happened to them, but I know I had some gems in there. Wish I still had them today. Oh well. Anyway, uh, I'm pretty. I'm sure it's pretty expensive to buy the manual nowadays, but if you can get your hands on it, then consider yourself lucky, because that thing is a real piece of art. Um, Earthbound is one of those games that was a lot more popular in Japan than it was in the West. Uh, this is true of a lot of RPGs, actually, and for that reason, the actual cartridge is pretty expensive, these days, and it might just be easier to get it on an emulator, or I think it's on the Super NES Classic. In fact, I know it is. It's on the Super NES Classic, so that's probably an easier way to get it, and you get a bunch of other great games, too. Um, I still have my SNES version, and also bought Mother 2 for Super Famicom a couple of years ago. I think it was like or $20 or something on the Super Famicom. I got it at Super Potato, if you're familiar with that store in Japan. Uh, They've got locations in Tokyo, Nagoya, Osaka, and probably some other cities, I'm not sure. But they got a bunch of locations anyway. And you might even be able to find Mother 2 cheaper at Hard Off or Book Off or something if you're lucky. Hard Off, by the way, probably the best name of any store in the world. Um, Another funny little joke in the game is that there's a company called Escargot Express that helps you store items and delivers items to you, and even with that name Escargot, they always show up extremely quickly, whereas Mach Pizza, another company, another, uh, well obviously a pizza place in the game, which you'd think would be quick, always takes forever to arrive. So uh, after you beat Foreside, you travel to the beach resort town of Summers, where a lady offers you a magic cake that makes you hallucinate. 
this is when we are introduced to the character Pooh, who is the crown prince of Dalam. I guess Dalam is supposed to be like Tibet or somewhere high in the Himalayas. Uh, there's a pretty cool part here, kind of scary part as well, where you must meditate as part of your training. And one by one, you're stripped of your arms, legs, ears, eyes, and even your mind in the end. Uh, the volume cuts out, and eventually the screen goes black. And yeah, this is a really cool part. And after that, Pooh levels up a whole bunch and then teleports to Summers to link up with uh, Ness and the gang. So this is the first time that you have the full crew assembled which is always a nice part in any game like this. So let's talk about the differences between the main characters in the game. So Ness is pretty well-rounded and uses a baseball bat as his main weapon. By the end of the game, he's easily the most powerful of the four. Uh, Paula has a lot of psychic points, which is kind of like the mana or the MP. Uh, her main weapon is a frying pan, uh, Jeff has no PP, as mentioned earlier, but he can invent weapons, like I said, to use in battle. His main weapon is a gun. Uh, Pooh is also pretty well-rounded and generally uses his hands as his main weapon, although there is a sword you can get for him, though it's extremely rare to find. It's kind of a secret item, the Sword of Kings. Uh, one interesting thing is that Pooh prefers different food than the others, and so he'll gain more health from the food that he likes, and he won't gain as much from food that maybe he's not used to. So that, that's pretty cool. Um, now that you've got the squad together, the game starts to get a little bit more difficult. And it's never the most difficult game, but the next part always gave me a little bit of trouble when I was younger. You fight your way through a sewer full of stinky ghosts, and then you must defeat the Plague Rat of Doom, one of the many great enemy names in this game. You travel through another desert after this, and then take a yellow submarine to a rainforest slash swamp that has a super cinematic soundtrack that really amps up the intensity. And that, yeah, that's Deep Darkness. That Deep Darkness is a pretty tough part of the game as well. Uh, so after defeating a giant pile of puke, you end up in a village where everyone is shy. These guys are called Tendas, and they're very cute. I like the Tendas. You'll eventually get to a land of dinosaurs called the Lost Underworld, which feels pretty surreal. Um, your characters become really tiny on the map, and you move pretty slowly. So it's kind of intimidating when you see a giant chompnosaur running toward you. Uh, in this area, the screen sometimes starts shaking as hot springs erupt, which can be a bit annoying as you can't move when this goes on. But I think it serves to add to the feeling of helplessness you'd get when dropped into the domain of giant dinosaurs. And if there's any part in the game when I feel helpless, it's definitely in the Lost Underworld. Um, so 
After this, you'll come across a boss at the end of this zone, which is one of the most difficult battles in the game. When I was a kid, I referenced beating this boss, Diamond Dog, as one of the biggest accomplishments of my life. But yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. Diamond Dog is a pretty tough boss. So you're pretty much on the home stretch after this, with a few more really cool areas to clear, including going into a dreamland called Magicant, uh, which could be in contention for coolest part in the game, actually. Uh, Magicant is really trippy. So yeah, if you're into like psychedelic stuff, you're going to love Magicant, that's for sure. Uh, it's pretty introspective and philosophical too, so there's a lot to be gained in real life from paying close attention to what you can learn at this stage of the game. It, it really is a deep game. I know it looks, uh, looks kind of silly and, and cute, but there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. So yeah, you meet a number of interesting characters here in Magicant, including your neighbor Pokey, uh, your younger self, there's a version of your living room there with your mom and your sister. Um, yeah, there's just, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool part. You also find the grave of Buzz Buzz, which always made me so sad. Buzz Buzz is only in the game for a few minutes, but he's such a powerful force. There's, there's an instant uh, connection for some reason. Buzz Buzz had a lot of impact on me when I was a child. Uh, Magicant forces you to reflect on your journey with a total overload of nostalgia. Um, and after this, you're pretty much in last boss territory, which is, of course, Gygus. And this part is actually pretty disturbing. Everything in the game has been pretty cute and cartoonish up to this point, but it's, it takes a hard left here, and it's pretty off-putting. So as you approach Gygus, you're trudging through what looks like maybe intestines or something like that, and you enter the battle and you see Ness's face uh, reflected back at you. Uh, the image of Gygus transforms several times as the battle goes on. As you know, last bosses tend to do that in a lot of games, but this is a little bit different. This one's much more disturbing than you would expect after playing through the entire game with all the cute creatures and whatnot. So, yeah, it keeps changing Gygus's form. It's hard to tell exactly what you're looking at, but it's creepy as hell. Uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theories around this, and I'm honestly not sure what to believe, but some people liken the image of Gygus to an ultrasound of a fetus. And I can say it does definitely look like that at times so it, it could be but i'm just not sure uh the creator of the game again itoi he has said that the gygus battle is based on a scene from a movie he saw when he was a child called the military policeman and the dismembered beauty in which a woman is killed and cut into pieces um yeah I, i'm not sure um how to get that out of it, but I could understand it looks so creepy that the feeling of a situation like that definitely would enter your mind. So in the end, you need to summon the powers of all the people you've met along the way in order to defeat the final boss and restore peace to the world. Um, what a rewarding finale and what a nice 
message to end on. Uh, Even the chosen one needs some help along the way. And there are always plenty of people willing to give you a hand if you just ask. And it's, it's really cool to see all the characters come back at the end of the game. It's because uh, I don't know why you, you kind of grow to love these characters. I think because you really need to talk to everyone in this game. You have conversations and the dialogue is meaningful in this game. It's not as simple as just telling you what you need to do. There's there's jokes, you hear funny things, you hear disturbing and sad things. This this game, it really has it all. Um, yeah, it's it's really excellent. So whichever of the many theories about this game you may subscribe to, one thing is for sure, it's a masterpiece. I've always put it on my list of favorite games of all time, and it's not going to be bumped off that list anytime soon. I classify it as a coming-of-age adventure story with great writing and a lot of depth. So, yeah, that's that's it for Earthbound. Maybe my favorite game of all time. I hope you enjoyed listening half as much as I enjoyed creating this episode. And if you haven't played the game, I hope you get the chance. If you have played the game, I hope you loved it as much as I did. Okay, so for this week's recommendation, I wanted to choose something from Eagle Land, but uh, Mach Pizza was closed, so I've gone with Handsome Burger in Nagoya instead. Handsome Burger can be hard to find at first because it's actually underground by one of the exits in Hushimi Station. I remember when I found it for the first time, I thought it was so cool. It's uh, such a nice atmosphere to eat a nice burger and fries down in the subway station. And I don't just mean like one of those nice malls that's in the subway station. This is like, no, you're really just in a station having a burger. And it's a damn good burger as well. It's uh, kind of similar to something you might get somewhere like Shake Shack, which in my opinion is very good. And the fries are top-notch as well. They're thin, kind of like McDonald's fries, but with a little bit of potato skin on them as well, a la Wendy's. I think the hours of operation might be a little odd, so just check to see if it's open before you teleport over to Handsome Burger to increase your HP. Uh, The theme in the shop, it's all about San Francisco, so I don't know if Handsome Burger is originally from there or something, or they just like San Francisco. I don't know what the deal is, but anyway, it's one of the best burgers in central Japan, no doubt, if not one of the best burgers in Japan. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed me rambling on about Earthbound, one of my favorite games. Uh, Next time, we're going to be a bit more highbrow and talk about the legendary Japanese artist Hokusai, famous, of course, for the Great Wave off Kanagawa, which we've all seen copies of at cafes or on t-shirts or mugs or some mural in the street. Um, His works are, of course, beautiful 
and I'm excited to dive into what makes them so special and what made them controversial at the time of their creation. So until then, thank you very much for listening. This is Stephen TM signing off, and I'll see you next time for Hokusai.